Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. So we're beginning a brand new worship series tonight um, on Colossians. I mean, that's really just it. It's a worship series on Colossians, which is a New Testament epistle. And this series is not really thematic like our last one was, except that the continuous reading over several weeks of this epistle epistle called Colossians is going to help us, I hope, to see the connection between good theology and good ethics and a good life. So in the absence of a theme for the series, we've just called it Epaphras, Onesimus, Nympha, Paul. A few of the names of the real life human beings who populate this epistle, and we'll get to each of them in their turn. And so I'm going to begin reading tonight in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll go through verse 13. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful siblings in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you, just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from God's glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. God has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of God's own beloved son. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For all the Bible nerds out there, you know who you are. A preliminary remark about Paul 
as the actual author of this epistle to the Christians in the ancient city of Colossae. I don't care. Well, I mean, I care in that understanding the ancient practice of pseudepigraphy or writing under someone else's name in order to assume their authority for your teaching is important for understanding lots of the Bible, like the parts that are attributed to Moses or Isaiah or Paul, but are clearly the writings of somebody else or even the collected sayings of several somebody else's stuck together and published under the name of someone that the readers already know and trust. It's good to know that for our ancestors in faith, writing under someone else's name was a common practice, not meant as deception, but rather as truth-telling. The literal author writing under the name of a well-known teacher would do so as a tribute to that particular school of thought, an honor bestowed on that teacher for so thoroughly explicating a difficult theme that anybody who came after them would be indebted to that teacher's thinking, that teacher's language, even that teacher's way of being in the world. The student expressed that indebtedness by writing their own material in the style of and under the name of the teacher as a way of kind of deflecting the congratulation that might come their way if they did a good job and shifting the praise to their teacher. For the pseudepigraphal, pseudepigraphical, pseudepigraphal, pseudo, I don't know, for that writer, it was actually more truthful to write under their teacher's name than to say they had come up with these thoughts on their own. You may know that many of the New Testament books of the genre epistle, which are formal essays embedded in correspondence delivered by a messenger, claim to be the writings of the Apostle Paul. But it's thought by many scholars that some of those, a handful, are not Paul himself, but instead close associates of his writing under his name. And Colossians is one of those potentially pseudepigraphic epistles though scholarship is divided on this one, and by most accounts, it's kind of a toss-up. So it's either Paul or someone so close to Paul that they feel confident using his name. Like, whatever I say here, it's so very much like what I learned from Paul that it's actually Paul's thinking, which is okay with me. Because either way, Paul, or almost Paul, our ancestors in faith preserved this writing we call Colossians and passed it around and copied it out again and again and read it in their churches as part of their worship so as to let its language permeate their prayers. It was important to them, so very important that it would eventually make its way into the canon of Christian scripture. So it's important to me including the parts that are weird or distasteful or even painful. We'll get there. But most of it is not any of those things. Most of it is beautiful and has lasted a lot longer in the minds of more people than any thought I have ever thought on my own. In sum, for the sake of ease in this worship series over the next several weeks, I'm just gonna say Paul. 
And if you have reason to substitute Paul or somebody very much influenced by Paul, whenever I say that, I don't care. It's okay by me. Here ends the preliminary remark. Last weekend, I traveled to Bowling Green, Kentucky to preach for a church whose pastor is away on sabbatical. That's why I was not here with you all. In the months before that pastor left her church for sabbatical, she read the book, We Were Spiritual Refugees, A Story to Help You Believe in Church, which is my memoir about Galileo Church's first five years. Basically, it's an accumulation of all the stories I could remember about how we got to be who we are now. All the stuff we tried that didn't work, some of the stuff we tried that did, the people who found us and stayed, the people who found us and left, and how all of them changed who we are all together now. It is in some sense a book about all of you, even the ones who were not here in our first five years together, because we always imagined ourselves to be doing church in ways that would be good for people who were not here yet, making decisions about our life together that would make room for all of you. So the pastor at First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Bowling Green, Kentucky, read that book. And then she asked some other folks in her church to read it too. And then she invited me to come preach while she's away from her church this summer. And when I got there, I could not for the life of me figure out why. I spent several hours on Saturday with some of their church leaders, members of their missional logistics team and their spiritual care team, although that is not what they call those teams there of servant leaders. And I only had to ask these people one time to tell me about their church. And from cocktails to appetizers to main course to dessert, they could not stop the stories. They told me about the fellowship hall in their church building, once a pleasantly decorated space for their intimate family dinners together, now cluttered with deep shelves built out of raw plywood and two by fours, holding heavy pallets of non-perishable food. See, there were devastating tornadoes in Bowling Green last summer and winter, do you remember? I didn't. But lots of people in that city were displaced from their homes and lost their jobs. So now, First Christian Church is a community grocery store where their neighbors can shop for food for free. It's messy, but we're getting used to it, the genteel leaders of that church told me. They told me about their refugee resettlement work. It turns out, did you know, that Kentucky is one of the most active states in the US American project of welcoming refugees from the Democratic Republic of Congo, Burma, Burundi, Somalia, Cuba, and other places all over the world. And it turns out, did you know, that Bowling Green is one of the three major refugee resettlement stations in that state. And First Christian Church 
is assisting refugees in ways large and small, helping them find employment and furniture and getting their kids enrolled in school. It's amazing how fast they learn, the silver-headed leaders of that church told me. They make all our work worth it because they work so hard. They told me about their booth at the Bowling Green Pride Festival last fall. We used to think it was enough to just say, all are welcome, but now we know better, these cis straight presenting old timers told me. Now we know we have to be plain and win the trust of people who have good reason not to trust people like us. It's so true, said the OG lesbian sitting next to me at dinner. I don't go to church there, but I know I could if I wanted to. So what am I doing here? I asked, genuinely perplexed. See, usually when I go out of town on one of these deals, I've been called to a church in need of some consulting, some challenging, some new ways to think about old problems. Very, very often, a discouraged pastor will call me and say, can you come to my church? and tell them what they cannot hear me say. Because when I say it, that we're dying, and that we deserve to die if we don't have any sense of purpose beyond our own survival as an institution, they just get real mad. Maybe if you say it, they'll listen. Oh, and if you've got any great ideas, any magic fixes we haven't thought of yet for how to breathe life back into our listless existence, we'd be happy to hear them too. And usually, when I get to a church like that, they're predictably ready to tell me why the stuff I know how to do is just not gonna work for them in that place there. Friends, in truth, I'm not a very good consultant. I mean, I've never quite figured out how to help people receive me as a, a kind of scout, you know, a messenger returning from the spiritual but not religious frontier with an optimistic report about all the ways that spiritual refugees are ready to give community in Jesus' name another chance if you just give them time enough and room enough and if you trust them to tell you the truth about what they need. I don't know any magic tricks. I only know this place. I only know you this room full and screen full of people and all the ones that came before you. And in a weird way, all the ones who are not here yet, all the ones who are even now driving by that billboard on I-20 and wondering who the hell we think we are announcing love in the middle of this never-ending climate apocalypse, viral apocalypse, judicial apocalypse, economic apocalypse, choose your own catastrophe we are enduring. The ones here before you and you now and the ones coming after you, this is, you are all I know. Anyway, this church in Bowling Green, it turns out they're not listless or desperate or dying. They're not stubborn or scared or broke or broken. And so I said, what am I doing here? And they said, what do you mean? And I said my piece about the kind of invitations I usually get, and they, they laughed and laughed. No, no, that's not us, they said with joy and relief. 
We just really love knowing about your church, that it exists out there. And we thought y'all might like knowing about our church too. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful siblings in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our parent. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the parent of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard, we have heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. And we have heard about the love that you have for all the saints. And we have heard that it's all because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. We have heard, we have heard of your faith and your love and your hope. We have heard and we thank God for you. See, Colossae was a real place back in the day. It was located on the westernmost peninsula of Asia, formerly known as Asia Minor, now called Anatolia, constituting the major part of modern day Turkey. You can look that up, it's on Wikipedia, that's how I got it. Colossae was near places that Paul had stopped to preach and provoke and argue and baptize, but it never made it onto his missionary itinerary before he landed in prison for one of the last times, under guard by the Roman Imperial Army for stirring up civil unrest, for disturbing the peace, with his disturbing message of a Lord known as Jesus, who by the way himself had been crucified by the Romans for stirring up that exact same shit. No, Paul had never been to Colossae, but he had heard about the Christians there because, because Epaphras told him. That is to say, another person who had dedicated himself to traveling the highways of the empire, stopping to tell strangers about how God was saving the world through a Messiah named Jesus, told him. I like to imagine Epaphras visiting Paul in his chains, bringing him comfort in his distress. And Paul's distress would not have been for his own suffering. He kind of wears that as a badge of honor, which we'll see later on in this epistle, but he would have suffered, I know it, for all the time wasted sitting in a cell without an audience, with no way to announce the pressing message of God's urgent love for this world and its people. He would have worried that all the little fires he had lit in tiny secret communities of Christ followers in those ancient cities of Asia Minor would be snuffed out by the various catastrophes of their place and time. He would have wrung his hands to remember helplessly how fragile the gospel still was, how new, how small, how ever on the brink of extinction. But Epaphras could tell him different. It's still happening, he could have said to Paul. It's still working that wherever we bring the good news about the lengths to which God would go to have us home, people are ready to receive it. They respond. They respond in faith, trusting that this is the best news they've ever heard. They start living out their love, believing that if God is love, then love is all you need. They do it all in hope 
convinced that the arc of the moral universe is long indeed, but it bends toward justice. Don't you worry, Paul, Epaphras could have said, hear this good news, that you are not alone. And then these little churches that we have built are not alone. And I just thought you would like to know about this one in Colossae. It's a good one. And what does Paul do in response to this good news? Well, he prays. He can't talk to the Colossians, so he talks to God about the Colossians. He thanks God for all the good stuff he's heard about them. And he asks God for even more on their behalf that these newbies to the faith will grow and grow and grow, becoming more and more grounded in something he calls spiritual wisdom and understanding that they'll have joy and strength in their faith, joy for when things are terrific, joy for when they're not, and strength for endurance to get through the catastrophes they will surely face because that's life. That's life then and now. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from God's glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to God, our parent, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. The city of Colossae suffered a devastating earthquake in about 61 CE. Its citizens rebuilt the streets of that city very slowly. They didn't have much support from the Roman government as the city just wasn't terribly important to the empire's commercial interests. I wonder if the little church started by Epaphras had a community grocery store for their neighbors. I wonder if refugees from neighboring villages on the fault line made their way there. I wonder if the Christians in that place did whatever it took to gain the trust of their neighbors, opening their hearts and their doors to anybody who needed a place to call home. If they did, I bet they did, that would be the gospel for all who heard about it. And that would be enough reason to give thanks. Would it not? Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.